Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hit Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Business of Fitness podcast with me, Molly Herford. I am so excited. It has been a very busy few weeks for me. I launched my most recent book, The Strong Girl, just last week. And the week before that, uh, you might have heard the episode where we talked with Mackenzie Myatt. She is my first author with Strong Girl Publishing. And we just launched her first poetry book. So really exciting all around. Uh, just really fun kind of getting out of those books out in the world. Finally feeling like Strong Girl Publishing is finding its feet. Uh, it's just been really cool. So thanks to everyone who's been supporting that. And this week, I'm so jazzed, so jazzed to have my good friend Nicole Lower on the podcast to talk about all things sustainability and especially for small businesses. Now, I know this is kind of a topic that a lot of people think about and then kind of dismiss uh, when they're starting their smaller business, you know, this idea of sustainability, of environmentalism uh, as just kind of being just not that much that they can do on a small scale. Uh, so I was really excited to have Nicole on to talk about the small changes, the small tweaks we can be making to our businesses to try to make them more environmentally friendly, more sustainable. And the really cool part about all of that is a lot of it actually does come down to it saves us money to do the right thing in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, in some cases, yes, we're going to have to go for a little bit higher end stuff, a little bit more expensive stuff. But for the most part, a lot of the stuff that we talk about is actually dollar saving in addition to environment saving. So I thought this was such a fun conversation. Nicole has such a diverse background in both the fitness, the fashion, and now the environmentalism uh, industries, I guess. Uh, she is just one of the smartest people I know. And we had such a good time chatting about all things uh, writing, marathoning, solo running, uh, teaching at NYU, you know, talking about climate communications. Uh, she's just kind of one of these Jill of all trades people I love because she's always finding new ways to reinvent herself, which is another really interesting part of this conversation. I think it's it's really cool talking to someone who's been in so many different aspects of different industries over the years. So I think you have so much we can learn from her. So enjoy this chat with Nicole. Okay, Nicole, welcome to the Business of Fitness podcast. I'm so excited to get you on because your your bio, everything that I know that you've done, everything that you're currently doing is just such a, a wonderful amalgamation of just like amazing ideas and things. So I'm so excited to chat. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. 
again. Yeah. I mean, you were on consummate athlete, like what five or six years ago, you were one of like the earlier guests on my original podcast. So it's very exciting to kind of make this full circle. And I know I'm excited I, long time ago. Seriously. I feel like we could take all day if I was just like, give me your bio. Um, because you know, we we're very much the same in that we've both done a million and one things, but give me like the elevator pitch. You're on the 40th floor heading down and someone's like, so what have you done with your life? Oh gosh. Go. <laughs> no, no pressure. No pressure. No pressure. Um, so I'm a climate communicator, researcher, and adjunct professor. Uh, in 2018, I sort of made this pivot into AI and climate solutions, which is when we met. Um, and then in 2020, I pursued my master's at Columbia University's climate school. Um, I've dabbled in a lot of areas since graduating there, U.S. Department of Energy, a few climate startups to figure out what I wanted to do. And now I've found a home at um, as a sustainability strategist and writer for the New York agency Ideas on Purpose. So we consult Fortune 200s on their sustainability communications. Um, and then prior to all of this, I was leading digital strategy for two luxury companies. Um, and I've done a lot of work for major brands. I love it. I love it. Now, what we've missed there is all of the athletic background and sort of how all of those have dovetailed together, because I love you for the fact that you did the athlete thing without completely diving into the fitness world, but you have kind of gotten your, your fingers into it a little bit. So give me the, the athletic side of things as well. I know that's like my, the unquote unquote unprofessional side of me, I guess. Um, I'm currently a solo marathoner for Tracksmith and prior to the pandemic, I was a nationally ranked triathlete for Adidas. Um, had some other really great sponsors there too, like New York Sports Club. Um, and then the timing of the pandemic interestingly aligned with me going back to get my master's and I had to find this like balance to do both. So kind of ramped down on, um, triathlon and then ramped up into solo marathoning. And I know a lot of people are like, what is solo marathoning? And it's just when you race unsupported, um, and it's unsanctioned. So I don't really have any medals, no fuel stops, um, no sanctioned course. It's just some good old long distance running. Like the best kind. I feel yeah. like that's, that's actually something that I think more people should actually kind of find, because I think most people assume you have to have like the start line, the finish line to to call it a marathon. So talk to me. I mean, I realize this is not a fitness podcast, but I do think this does kind of play into a lot of stuff when we're talking about like the fitness industry and all these things, people have this weird sense of like, you know, you have to have done Boston or New York or Chicago or, you know, any other, whatever to be like a runner or a marathoner. And I know you started obviously with those like finish line races and then clearly had the the pivot of like, oh, right. I can be a runner and a marathoner without having to be on the start line. So how did that come up? Because I think that's, even when we talk about imposter syndrome at work, which is a very common thing with the people, you know, that I talk to that come on the show and people that ask about stuff with the show, I think, you know, this is such a good kind of side of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. I, so I found a lot of joy in like sanctioned racing. So I'm not like knocking it, but for me, I mean, every sport you do has like a season and I found that for me, just off seasons didn't work that well. I kind of fell into this interesting cycle where I'd be super, super on during my on season and then very, very often, very unhealthy in my off season. Um, so for me, it's like, I don't know, people say you need rest. I just have taken more of like, I think a long-term approach to my health in a lot of this. Um, so moving in ways, 
consistently throughout the year that feel good. And I'm really competitive with myself. So I always like to have a little bit of a challenge. And I think that's kind of where the idea of doing these un unsanctioned races came from for me. Um, and yeah, I just love running. So I love that. I think we talk about this all the time on my other podcast that like, you're very much like me in that. I think originally when you did race, you like you raced in order to train. And now it seems like you've kind of cracked the code where you don't actually need to have that race on the calendar. Like you're good enough at putting the pressure on to just go out and like have those solo ones on the, the books and like, you're good. You don't need the the start line in order to force yourself to train. Totally training for life. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, you know, you haven't actually like worked full time in the sport industry, but you've really kind of gotten your fingers into a lot of it. Like, and I, I loved kind of all these little like bits and pieces where it's like Tracksmith had their commuter collection. So you actually did some stuff with them where you were commuting to school where you were teaching. Uh, you know, you've been consulting with any distance, which is a super cool app. Talk about how you've, you've kind of gotten your fingers into the, the fitness side of things. Yeah, I'm always, I feel like trying to find a way for the two to overlap. Um, my personal life does rest a lot in like the, the fitness side of things, but like my professional background really is in marketing at the end of the day, pre-climate stuff. Um, so a lot of it has been, you know, I was really lucky when Tracksmith reached out to me and asked me to be the face of their New York commuter campaign. Like it just made sense. So like a lot of the things that I'm doing, like in my life kind of, I think, ladder back to what companies that I admire and use in my everyday training are already doing. And the same with any distance. I mean, I was using the app and then they had reached out to me to be an advisor. So it all just kind of comes together, I think, um, really organically. And yeah, I've never, I've never really been interesting in working full-time fitness. Um, I got spin certified, <laughs> like indoor cycling certified. Um, and we all, yeah, we all, we all <laughs> long, long, long time ago. Um, and then I auditioned for Peloton in the, um, pandemic and, um, I just, I didn't, I didn't, it didn't work for me. It, it felt like too much pressure. Um, to, to put on myself. Mm -hmm. I do like, I know a lot of people listening to this are kind of in either like the athlete side, or they are kind of looking for these partnerships with brands. Like they don't necessarily want to work for the brand, but they do, you know, whether it's, they run a studio and want to be working with a different app or a, you know, different clothing brand or anything. And I think you just kind of hit the nail on the head with like, you were using all of this stuff before getting approached. And I think that's something that a lot of people miss. They have their like list of people that they want to work with, but they're not actually investing in the thing or using the thing. Yeah. They just kind of expect it to, to come to them. Yeah. And it's the same. I mean, I've worked brand side too, so I know how it works. Like when I was in luxury fashion and beauty, we typically only really reached out to folks that there was already a draw or organic, um, organic and natural connection. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I just put my little marketing hat on and kind of did it the other way. I love it. I love it. Okay. From luxury fashion to sustainability, how did that, like, how did you suddenly decide sustainability is where I want to be? Climate change is what I'm interested in. Let's go back to school for a master's in that when you were kind of really carving out this great niche in digital strategy. It's sort of a pretty big, like, U-turn pivot kind of thing. 
Totally. Yeah. So um, I should start by saying that my dad it has or owns, I guess, a recycling plant. Um, and I grew up in like a farm and agricultural heavy um, community. So my roots have like never really been like that far from my mind. My family still lives, you know, only three hours from here. Um, I think the real story is that like, you know, I had been building this um, career in digital strategy for so long. And at one point um, when I ended up leaving, I had the opportunity to move to Paris with one of those luxury brands. And due to like life circumstances, I said no, but it put me in like a very early like quarter life crisis of what do I do next? Um, I ended up in AI just because I was like super interested in how that was going to play out. Like I said, pre-ChatGBT. Um, working for Microsoft. And then I eventually ended up in AI and climate solutions. Um, and that was back in like 2017, 2018. So that's, I was on a team essentially that, you know, no one is fully educated in climate science. So I decided that I wanted to be the person on the team that was educated and kind of, you know, made, started to dig my heels in that way. Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, I've said, okay, first of all, the Paris thing, when we last hung out, it was right after you'd kind of decided not to go to Paris. Yeah. Um, do you ever think back to that decision and think about like, what if, or are you just like, nope, that was the right call? I mean, totally. So like on a very real note, you know, I, I didn't go because I had just gotten engaged at that point and um, that like didn't work out. And just like, I'm very happy with where my life is now and the path that I took. But I mean, I did move to New York to move to Paris and that never came to fruition. So, I mean, I do think about it, not from a regret standpoint, but you know, what could have been. For sure. But you definitely never would have, I, I think if you'd gone to Paris, you definitely wouldn't have really gotten into like the sustainability side. You definitely would have leaned hard into the luxury fashion. So totally. would have totally. been a totally different situation. Yeah. Um, also AI real quick. Should we be terrified about it? Are we okay? What's happening? I think it's fine. I think we need a lot of like, I think social media was a good crash course for it. I think we need a lot of like policy and regulation in place, which um, it seems like that's already in motion, whereas like social took a really long time to do that. So I think as long as that continues on its course, we sh should be fine. There's a lot of like really great and useful case studies for it. Um, I'm generally an optimist in all things. So I like to think we'll be fine. <laughs> Okay, I like that as we go deeper into sustainability here. Always good to hear that there's going to be an optimist like angle on it, at least. Yeah. <laughs> but before we get too deep into sustainability, talk to me about going back to school, because that's to me both like the most like I'm so desperate to do it because it just seems like the greatest thing in the universe. But from a time and money standpoint, it is a terrifying proposition whether it's in like in person whether it's online like it's a big freaking deal so how did you come down like how did you decide yeah well I just want to say it was like the greatest thing I've ever done in my life so again back to the Paris thing like happy I didn't go um it was really terrifying so I actually had this amazing mentor now one of my best friends her name is Christina so hi Christina you'll probably listen to this um, so at the time, you know, she really pushed me in all areas of my life. And she's a really big reason that I am the way I am today from like a personal and work perspective. Um, she helped me figure out like what I wanted to do and logistically how to make it work. Um, a lot of people don't know that I was working full time across multiple jobs and teaching while getting my master's. Um, 
So it was pretty difficult, but I think when it came to like barriers and actually deciding to do it, it was more about if I could keep up with the smart kids, you know, I went to an Ivy league. I'm the first person in my family to get a master's, the second woman to get her bachelor's uh, right behind my sister. So, you know, like I come from like a very humble and blue collar family. Um, but all is that to say is just like, you know, higher education was really terrifying for me. And the program I went to was the first of its kind. So my dad was really the one to push me, um, even though he has no formal education at all, um, to accept that offer. And, you know, he's, my dad's amazing. He owns many businesses and he for is just always pushing me to do better, always has. Um, and just to really dream beyond like what I can see right in front of me. So in this instance, you know, having him push me, like there was no shortage of that. And that's, that's really what made me do it. I love it. And I do think like the, when you have someone in your family who owns their own business, you really have, it's not just the like, Oh, I want to start my own business. It's that you understand that like, you don't necessarily need a nine to five or, you know, a traditional job to make a really good life. So I think that example is just so important. Yeah. And he really embodies that. So, and I look up to him obviously. So I love it. Okay. The mentor that you mentioned, how does one come across a mentor? This is something that I have always like desperately wanted and like very much struggled with in my life. Christina, I met, um, there's a siren in the background, so hopefully that's not too loud. Um, so I met Christina, um, she literally jumped off a PR bus that I was on. She was overseeing the trip. Um, she embodied this just like adventurous spirit that I loved so much. Um, and I didn't actually reach out to her to be my mentor until like six years later. Um, and I think that's the point is reaching out and being proactive to ask someone to be your mentor. Um, I've done it recently and it's worked out really great. Um, it's just really being cognizant about who you're reaching out to and ensuring that it's, it's mutually beneficial for that person. I love that. Now, when you reached out, did you just say like, hello, could you please be my mentor? Thanks, Nicole. <laughs> It started with an informational coffee just to like get to know each other a little bit better. Um, one coffee led to two coffees. And I think it became more of like an informal mentorship. But I have had um, some very sweet younger folks reach out to me and kind of mimic the same thing and like formally ask if I can be their mentor. And I always find that very endearing. And um, I think I think it works. It's worked for me. So I'm like, Nicole, do you want to be my mentor? Please? <laughs> Yes. The answer is yes. I feel like that actually is such a, such an interesting thing though. I think we could kind of all use both a mentor and being a mentor. It's, you know, you, totally. you think about like, I think you realize how much you know about something when you do start kind of work, like helping someone else. And you're like, Oh, okay. I kind of know what I'm doing. This is cool. Yeah. And it keeps you just like sharp in like different areas. Cause you never know like what they're going to ask you. It's, I don't know. I think both sides of it are great. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm, now I'm onto sustainability. I swear. Finally onto this track. Um, the big question I had for you, you know, heading into this, is just like big picture. Can small businesses actually make any kind of meaningful impact? And like, why should we care, you know, about sustainability as, you know, most of the listeners here are not Fortune 500 companies, they're, you know, running a yoga studio or trying to start their own coaching business or that kind of like smaller scale thing where the idea of sustainability just feels like it's just like 
terrifying or that it's like so far removed from the small business world. Totally. I think it's like really easy to get in that mindset, but I think the reality is that like everyone should care. Um, We're all inhabitants of like earth. So we should protect our home and like keep it beautiful, make it beautiful. Um, But I think the other side of it is like from a data standpoint, like we're quickly reaching this point where we may not actually be able to reverse the damage that's being done. And once we hit that point, we're at sort of this critical threshold that's just going to continue to push us deeper in the direction that we don't want to be going in. Um, But yeah, like small and medium sized businesses actually make up 90% of businesses globally. So like, I think when you think about it from like, um, you know, a full impact standpoint of like everyone coming together to do the best that they can. And I'm not saying you have to do everything, like you can just do one or two things. Um, You actually can make a real impact. So, you know, it's not just um, small businesses or big businesses or sectioning it off. I think everyone really has the opportunity to make impact. Ooh. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. How the hell do we do it? (laughs) (laughs) Give me me a list. Yeah. A lot of things. On on the small scale, like what are some of the actual things we should be thinking about? Because again, I think everyone's like listening to this, nodding their head being like, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I care. Yeah. And I think that's like, that's the thing we see is like, People care. They also know that bigger organizations hold a lot of the burden. Bigger countries own a lot of the burden too. But like, it does feel good to do those things individually. So I think when, you know, I also, the agency I work for is technically a small business for less than 20 people. So like, when I was thinking about this, I was like, okay, what did we do as a company? And I think the first one is like, you know, offering remote work to your employees and like, you know, that small change can affect like overall carbon footprint, you know, cars are horrible for the environment. Um, I think the thing that people don't think about is like the secondary emissions attached to that. So it's like with fewer people in an office, companies can save money on like lighting, stocking, um, heating a workplace. So there's like that side of it. That's kind of an unpopular opinion. So I like to think of the counter option of that, which is like, if you have to go into an office, it's like, can you do a hybrid work? Um, environment where you're going in a few days? Can you commute with folks? Or like companies should honestly honestly take it on to offer um, public transit commuter benefits. So that's where, um, you know, a lot of cities can like subsidize um, transit for companies and, you know, make it a lot cheaper for the employees. Um, But that being said, that's in lieu of actually driving a car. So, you know, using public transit, Um, I think there's like this, the third one that I like to mention is using sustainable products, which is like, duh, but it is actually harder to implement than you think. Um, so like thinking about like paper, like toilet paper or like printed paper, um, you can look for products that are post or pre-consumer waste. Um, and then recycled products obviously help with like a circular economy. Um, I'm just like ranting here now. My no, favorite this is one. perfect. I'm like, this is, this is exactly what we're talking about. Like I can about go here. all day. I can go all day. Um, the other, the other two that I think are really important and very easy to implement. Um, and maybe I should have mentioned this first is like making energy efficient upgrades. So like that can be a little bit more costly, but it's like when you're switching out your light bulbs, use led lights, um, automate your lights with sensors, use smart thermostats, um, take advantage of like natural light and also like using, um, blinds. So like if it's hotter during the day, pull the blinds down. So you're being more energy efficient inside. 
Um, and then I think the last one, which I'm like trying to push my office to do now is, um, compost. So there's a lot of cities that offer, um, like office composting services, uh, which, you know, it's just like you would compost at home, you compost in the office. Uh, we all bring our lunch to work every day. So when we're in the office, um, so for me, it was an obvious, like, let's do this. I love that, especially like the the remote work to me is such a good point because I think a lot of people who listen to this, especially are really thinking in terms of like, like, oh, I want to start a business. Therefore, like I'm going to need, you know, an office to go to. And it's kind of this automatic that we've always thought of as like, I think the pandemic really pushed us to stop thinking of it this way, but like, we're not a legitimate business if we work from home, uh, which is not an issue I've ever had because I've always been like, I refuse to work in an office. That's never going to happen for me, which is why I can pivot this camera four different ways and have my four different businesses be be viewable with my tiny little studio here. Um, but I think that's such a good thing. And it kind of takes even some of the, the like stress out of like, I can't afford an office space yet with my like small business idea. You don't need one. In fact, you're actually helping the environment by not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, it is that like psychological barrier. I think a lot of people have, and I know the, I've read a lot about like the nuances of like upper management wanting people in office for like visibility reasons. But like, I think when you think about like psychological safety in the workplace and all of these things, it's, you know, you should trust your employees and working from home is like a form of form of trust. So. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Now, you know, some of these businesses like coaching and yoga studios aren't necessarily going to have that many kind of product issues. It's really just like those initial buys. And as you said, you know, whenever we can go for better, you know, more sustainable materials, great. But what about more of like the, the product businesses? So here I'm thinking whether it's clothing or like, um, really any kind of product. And for me, like I think about, I have my little publishing company now, but we are like strictly like print on demand. And that was kind of done with sustainability, also like price in mind, but like the economics of me printing out thousands of books, not knowing how many of them would get pulped and having to have warehouse storage for them, like all of that stuff just made that not the best situation. And I know print on demand has its own issues, but to me, that was like the most sensible to not have a huge stock of stuff, um, which I think a lot of small business people tend to do. You like order the like 800 t-shirts and then you're like, sitting on a pile of 800 t-shirts kind of thing. Yeah. And I just like, there is so much like pressure to like always do the right thing. And there's so much like climate critique out there or judgment and like, like there shouldn't be, I don't think like there, there is a sustainable way to do these things, which is, you know, ordering on demand, like you said, um, you know, or at the very most or very least, I should say, like reducing the quantity that you're ordering. Um, you know, if you have the ability to, reduce the shipping components of your product so like any distance for example if anyone bought a piece of merch in um atlanta one of the founders would go hand deliver it and like it sounds so silly but like that's also how you create like brand affinity at the end of the day so it's just like it's sustainable it's like brand affinity it's like a whole there's that side of it um and then you know also when you're buying products um or sorry when you're making products it's like how local can you make them as well and where are the where are the materials coming from and how like 
I sustainability sourced are they, you know, like, are they a circular, are they made from circular materials or are they made from like, um, paper that comes from protected forests? It's like, it's not just like the end product that you're looking at when we say sustainable, it's like, what are the, what is the most you can do to reduce the impact on, you know, the earth when you're making this product, we're always going to need products, but it's how do you do it responsibly? I think Mm -hmm. is like how I like to think of these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's funny. Number one, you managed to sell me on an any distance t-shirt like a while ago, just so you're aware. I have the the stupid mental health one with the eagle walking that I love. I wear it all the time. Uh, I so it. I blame you for that. <laughs> but you got me thinking about the wrapping and it's funny. I actually, so we're doing it. We're sending out our first book in just a few weeks for Strong Girl Publishing and I'm so excited about it. But it's funny. I wasn't actually necessarily thinking about sustainability when I did this, but I got like actually like reasonably sourced, just like plain brown paper, like brown bag paper type stuff. And I'm actually physically wrapping each book, which I admit was not for sustainability. It's because if I use envelopes, it bulks up the thing. And if I wrap it by hand, it keeps it to oversized letter size and cuts the shipping hugely. So turns out it's both sustainable and economic and it's like literally going to get delivered like hand wrapped by me with like a little sticker inside and like a note. So it kind of all goes together very nicely. It turns out the sustainable thing lets you kind of like put your hand in a little more, especially when you're a small business. I think that's actually like a huge plus. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And folks just like, I don't know. I always think folks will want to buy from a small business over like a big corporation any day. So yeah, it's those little little touches. Small businesses are perfect, as someone I follow on Twitter likes to say. Ooh, I like that. Um, and I think the other thing we tend to not think about as much, we probably should be, is more of like the e-versions of everything. Like, what can you do that can be delivered online? And I think in the past, we've always thought of like e-books, for example, as like being cheaper than the print version because they're like a lesser kind of thing. And I think we need to stop thinking like that and start just being like, no. These are actually like totally equal value. And like the E version is going to like allow us to deliver it in a incredibly sustainable way. Totally. Yeah. And like, I don't know. I think for some reason people have this tendency to fantasize that sustainable things can be cheaper. And I just think that there should be like this like mental rework that things are the same. You know what I mean? It's all, it's all the same. Um, so yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, and okay, as, as small business people, I like what you just said about how, like, how we're never gonna be perfect, but I mean, where do you see like the future of all of this stuff going? Because I imagine that in all of the, you know, all of your school stuff and all of the work that you do right now, you are sort of future casting, if not like a year down the road, probably also thinking like, what's, you know, a decade from now looking like, um, so what do you see? Like, do you see like huge shifts coming in our future for, for those of us in these like small businesses or what do you think? Are we think like so. falling off a cliff? I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm totally a climate optimist in a lot of this. Um, I, you know, there's a few sides to it. One, I think like Gen Z is like, and the generations that come after Gen Z are way more concerned about the environment than any generation. And they have a, just a better understanding of what the, what's going on with the environment than any generation that came before them. I think for us though, you know, capitalism won't care unless we do. And I think a lot more people in like the millennial older mindset are waking up to that notion. 
So, you know, it's like, I think we're going to be fine. Um, I think it's going to take a lot more pressure on companies and policymakers. And, you know, a lot of people get scared because they're like, how do I do that? And it's just like using your dollars to signal allegiance, like stop buying, like do a little research that's free and like vote with your dollars. That's how I like to say it to people. Um, That's the easiest way to enact change. Mm -hmm. Now, are there any resources that you like? I mean, you've obviously kind of seen like you read the the really nerdy white papers and break them down, but is anyone doing that really well in terms of like a place where anyone can stay up to date, not necessarily just as small business owners, but just as people who care about this stuff? What are your kind of go-to sources for good information? There's a newsletter um, that's called Carbon Brief Daily. Um, I can send the link after, but Carbon Brief Daily does a really great job of giving a global snapshot of what's happening um, when in climate every single day um, on a global scale. And for me, that's you can know everything, you can read the white papers, but I think it we're getting to such a critical point that it's like knowing how this is all coming to life um, in real time is actually kind of critical, um, as much so as understanding the science of all of it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. And we will include a link to that in the show notes. Excellent. Excellent. And okay. Before I shift gears entirely, is there anything sustainability wise that we didn't touch on before I'm going into your other areas of expertise here? Um, I just like to finish by saying no one's perfect and no company's perfect and it's all a transition. So it's for me, I'm someone who likes to encourage people to not focus on the negative and try to be more productive and constructive about how we think about future and climate. That's all. (laughs) That is actually the most perfect segue into the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is your background in digital strategy and especially in social media, because I do think like that point that you just made is like replace all of that with like literally anything. And that is like a good starting point for social media as far as like small businesses go and everything is probably don't go negative. (laughs) We don't really need to shame other companies, other businesses, other people. Um, And this is actually a pattern that I've been noticing lately. And I didn't put this in the show notes or I didn't put it in the questions I sent you, but it is this odd thing that I've noticed lately where it seems like the trend I see amongst like say coaches and like coaches of all different types is to do this odd thing of like other coaches say X, Y, Z. And like, but I'll tell like, and I'm like, first of all, I don't actually think that there were other coaches saying that. Or if there were like, you had to dig really deep to find that we're doing this really odd, like setting up an opposition. And I don't get it. (laughs) Yeah. It's really weird. It's like part, part projection, I think from like a therapy mindset and then part like I don't know. It's, um, it's really, I see it too on like, not just like trainer, but like food things. It's, it's bizarre. I think on food things. Yeah. yeah, I think it's really bizarre. And like, it's a way I think people are trying to signal that they're different, but there's other ways to say you're different than like bringing someone else down in the process. I don't know. I'm, I'm not normally like good vibes kind of person, but I'm just like, there's better uses of energy folks. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So better uses of our energy on social. If you're a small business, you're kind of just getting started. You're new to social media. You're horrified by the idea of having to show up like as your business on social media, because it's, it's hard doing the promotion thing. Where where do you start? What are your, what are your tips here? I think the thing, so I do a lot of um, advising for small businesses from a women's group that I'm in. 
And I, I get this question a lot. And my question back is, you know, who's your audience? So I always like to remind people first to think about who their audience is, because your audience really does determine um, how and where you show up. Um, a lot of people think you have to be on every platform. That's not actually true. You may hear TikTok is like the platform du jour, but it's like maybe, you know, LinkedIn is better for you. It's maybe it's not as a sexy, but um, your audience is there. So that's the first thing. And then I think the second and third things that people should probably think about is like building social presence takes a really long time. Um, I work with a lot of companies that tend to they see the success that I've had from my own personal brand. And I have to remind people very often that I've been doing this for <laughs> a very long time, over a decade. Um, so it's just, it's just different. The landscape is different. So with that, the third thing I think is just being willing to test. So that's copy, creative, how often you're posting um, and ways that you're promoting on specific platforms. There's no one formula really that works on social anymore, except to just show up consistently and authentically. Yes, absolutely. And I think kind of to the point about like the individual, like, yes, it took you a decade. Also, I would argue, I think in some ways it's almost easier to grow as an individual than it is as a just starting out small business. Totally, totally. Individuals, I think they're just more interesting to follow. Like apologies to all the small businesses. I'm also one of them, but like, I will say it is way easier for me to get followers on my platform versus on Strong Girl Publishing, on Consummate Athlete. Like it's a completely different world. Yeah, it's a lot of like consumer psychology. And then also like it comes down to algorithms too. And I don't think people should like base a lot of their decisions. And I see a lot of companies do this on what the algorithm says, you know, and unfortunately, at least the last I heard, they really deprioritize businesses if you label yourself as a business. Mm -hmm. So um, just something to think about. Definitely. Yeah. Which I think for, you know, someone who's just getting started in, you know, coaching or any kind of other like smaller business where it is just like a one-to-one -one kind of thing, you probably are actually better starting growing as a personal account at this point. And then, you know, if you want to eventually shift it to business, do that. But I think we all have um, the, uh, ugh, I'm going to feel gross saying it. We all have like the girl boss mentality from like 2017 or so of like, I'm starting a business today. So I need to get my like LLC, my business number, my this, my, my business account, my website. And we're like, okay, maybe, maybe slow your roll on some of these things and ask if it's actually serving you to do that. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Everyone's putting the cart before the horse these days. It's interesting to watch. It's very funny. I have to like, you know, it's funny and it's, it kind of like frustrates me sometimes because I see so many people like start the the business Instagram or like the business website and then nothing. I'm like, yeah, this is, I see it too. It's a little heartbreaking. It's a little heartbreaking. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. I love all of that. Um, what do you feel about like just newsletters? Any thoughts on that? Because I think that's one that people tend to kind of skimp on or forget about or like, love. Yeah. Love a newsletter. Love. It's like totally. It's like the new social new blog. I don't want to say new, but it's like, to me, it's just, it's so refreshing. And um, I'm a writer and, you know, I read a lot. So it's like, I, I just love to read and I don't feel that in personally that enriched. Um, and there's studies that show that like engaging on social and reading social content is like not as enriching for you as, you know, reading long form content. So mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big big fan, and it does go overlooked um, significantly. And people think it's a high lift; it's really not. So I don't know. 
No, it really isn't. Especially if you're already someone who is thinking about doing like long captions on social, like dude, just copy that in, maybe add a little bit, throw a couple of headings in there and you've got yourself a newsletter. <laughs> you can monetize it. There is that. There is that. And I mean, when you think about it, like that's the free way to have basically like a website in your LinkedIn bio, like just have oh. a link so people can sign up for your newsletter and that's free. And there you go. You're starting. I love, I love this digital strategy 101 we've taken. <laughs> I know. You know, we should probably put together an e-course and become coaches that coach coaches about coaching digital strategy. Oh my gosh. That would be amazing. And horrible. Like and also have, horrible. We would have like the world's best satirical podcast for that. And I think this is a thing we should explore at some point in our lives. I'm in. 100%. <laughs> Okay, because now I'm adding another job to our list here. Uh, I do want to talk about the fact that you you have created this very cool life. And I mean, you've kind of alluded to it a bunch of times here where you are doing kind of all of these different things. And, you know, this is something you and I definitely have in common. So many projects. Um, I think we both really chafe at the idea of one thing where you're working nine to five and that's the only thing that you do. Don't think either of us handled that very well. Nope, nope. Um, but- the one question I get asked a lot by people, especially like kind of getting into like the freelancey writing, writing kind of side of things is how do you, how do you like do it? How do you, you know, not miss deadlines? How do you, and I'm like, I've been doing this for a lot of years, um, many, many years. So it's kind of innate to me at this point, sort of, but it's a lot of work. So how do you keep shit organized? What's your strategy? I know. Well, first, a lot of kudos to you. I think that's like why we're friends because we just like are doing so many things. And I don't, I don't mean that from like a girl bossy way. I just mean from a general, like we love to do a lot of things. And I think that's not a lot of folks are like that. So kudos to you. Love it. Kudos to um, <laughs> Digital high and Love it. And so, yeah, I mean, like I have a lot going on. I think, um, I have this interesting strategy where I use Google calendars to paint like a, a very big picture view. And then I actually use my Apple notes to do an hour by hour breakdown of my week. Um, I also want to say I'm pretty selective these days of how I spend my energy and what I actually say yes to these days. So I think there's that level of that too. On a very tactical level, um, I'm like you, I've <laughs> kind of been doing the same schedule for years. Um, I train every morning. So I get up between five and six and then I train between seven and eight. So it's an hour there. Um, I work my day job from nine to five or nine to six. Um, I should say nine to six. Um, I usually take an hour in the middle of the day and I work on personal projects. So like right now we're doing a podcast interview. Um, I advise, like I said, small businesses, um, pro bono. Um, I am writing a love book right now or a poem love book I don't know I know I haven't said anything to anyone about it so yay I'm doing it. um and then also um as I mentioned I'm a professor at New York University so I do like student calls at that time too um my evening times are really sacred um I mentioned earlier that I have a partner and I obviously have a really rich social life so I love to like see my friends and I'm in therapy so I do that and you know all these things are structured like Monday I do this Wednesday I have therapy Thursday I do this so I don't know it's to me, the I, I started this by saying, you know, I'm really selective about how I spend my energy, but it's taken me a long time to figure out how to codify my life and schedule it in a way that makes sense. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I'm the same as you, actually. I, I admit I actually just got in a fight with Peter the other day because my evenings are so sacred that like a lot of the time I don't like adding unplanned anything to them. 
totally. like whether it's like house projects or like if it's planned no problem all in will do but if it's like a like in the spur of the moment like oh we should you know do xyz around the house i get so angry <laughs> um, i'm the same yeah. way <laughs> evenings like that's my time work very hard the rest of the time but like i don't want to have to deal with anything unplanned in the evenings i feel you i feel you got a little snippy there <laughs> the other night sorry peter but- sorry eric yeah apologies to the partners here um okay you mentioned being selective any tips on a saying no and b kind of coming to terms with the fact that turning things down does mean turning down often like paid work because this is where I will forever get stuck because it's real hard to turn down job offers. (laughs) Yeah. So I, for a long time was in that boat too. Like always just like saying yes to more, um, always putting more on my plate, somehow finding more hours in the day, but at the, probably actually at the expense of other things. Um, so I actually had a life coach, um, this time last year, um, her name was Julianne. She was amazing. And she said something to me that I'll think about, um, a lot in my life. And it's like, when you say no, you, you open up for the possibility of yes. And this like unseen opportunity that you can't even begin to imagine. So like, if things like, one, you have to know yourself really well to know like what you can align yourself with or what you want to align yourself with, whether it's for like now purpose or future purpose. So to me, it's when I think about saying yes or no to something, I try to figure out where it aligns in my life. And I think the the saying no thing is so hard. I still struggle with that. Um, and it's taken me a lot of years and I'm still working on it, but I try to use like really kind language um, and really transparent language with people. Just that like, I would love to do this. You're amazing, but I don't have the time right now. And that's the, re- in, in a lot of cases, that's the reality. I just don't have time for things um, that, that don't fulfill me. So, mm-hmm. and I don't know, I think that everyone should kind of take a little bit of that. Yeah. And I think what you've kind of, what it seems like you've realized in the last few years is that like, it's not just that you don't have time because of other work commitments. It's that you don't have time because of other life commitments, like commitments to yourself to go away for a weekend or take time to go surfing or, you know, be able to do the long run and like adequately recover from it. Totally. Yeah. It's taken a a long time to see that shift. And also a lot of it comes to validating it in your own brain. Like those things, those things are just as important as getting paid. Um, I think, cause you got you got to have that balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I'd say both of us a few years back, were very much deep in the hustle mentality of just like, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Did you have like a moment of like clarity on that where you're like, oh, I need to stop doing this? Or was it more of a gradual downshifting to come to the the point you're at now? And I don't I was about to say balance point. And I'm like, I, I don't really believe in balance points necessarily. Neither do I. Yeah. And it really was a downshift for me. It's um I think for me it's been like a two-year-long journey. Um, so I mean, a lot of people know me for like how they see my life online, but a lot of people have no idea. I don't really give like personal details, I guess, and uh, um, like who I am too deeply, but like, you know, something that I I haven't shared is like, you know, I had a pretty se- like severely traumatic upbringing with my biological father that's like haunted me my entire life. Um, and, you know, I've been in therapy and working on that from like a very 
deep level since I was like six or seven, but I think being in therapy doesn't mean you're actually doing the work. So it took me up until two years ago. Um, I think I was in grad school and I just decided I just run a marathon and I was like, what if I, the mindset shift really was like, what if I use all the energy I use to do this half marathon and go to grad school to really like reinvest and approach my mindset. Like I do an athlete, um, in most of my days work. So, you know, it took the last two years for me to really crack the code on my own mental health and get to the place of slowing down that I've only really talked about for the last few weeks publicly. Um, a lot of the hyperactivity that people know me for and, um, you know, like, all the amazing jobs that I've had excelling at racing um, that actually came from like a really like deep need to like avoid what happened to me and like survive my past and move forward from it. I'm really proud of my younger self. Um, but I just like, it wasn't sustainable for me. Um, and I was really like really struggling behind the scenes. Um, but back to your question about what actually prompted the shift. Sorry, I'm like going on and on. Here. No, this is, this is all gold. <laughs> Um, so what actually prompted the shift was I had a, um, I was diagnosed earlier this year with PTSD. So I had a PTSD attack earlier this year in front of my partner, um, which was like a pretty big wake up call for me. Um, my therapist almost immediately partnered me with a psychiatrist. I went on medicine. It's been life-changing. Um, so like when I think about like, I don't really think balance exists either. And I think the, you know, the, the turning down of the volume or like, the being easier on myself is interesting because in like clinical, in clinical talk, like I was doing all the things that doctors recommend that you do. Um, I had a really fulfilling work, life balance, doing all of the exercise things you're supposed to do. I was journaling, meditating, but it just like, it wasn't allowing me to really, to your words, to your words, downshift in the way that you would. Um, so I, I sometimes that, feel like that stuff ends up being like, you have it on your to-do list because I think we're both very like prior, like, okay, like I'm supposed to meditate. I'm supposed to journal. I'm supposed to exercise. So like, check, check, check. And then you're like, wait, did I actually do any of those? Or was I just doing them for the sake of like crossing this off? Totally. And when I say two years, I mean, a lot of the first year of this journey was like, I'm doing the eating healthy. I'm going to therapy. I'm like having balance in my workouts. I'm like journaling and meditating, but like, I wasn't actually like fully doing those things. So it took a, the second, the second half of the year, it took a lot of slowing down that people have seen, um, takes me longer to answer text messages, emails, all of those things. But in all of it, you know, like I've also reworked my life structure. My partner is the safest and most secure person I've ever met in my entire life. My friends have just like created this like bed of warmth for me to like be the person that I need to be. And um, even for myself, just being like really, really gentle and slowing down and just using the words I need time if I need time to like really focus on what I think might be important or think about what may be important. It's funny that you work in sustainability and it seems like you're finally kind of coming to terms with like a sustainable way to live. Do you feel like the work in sustainability has kind of like maybe had some of that impact? Totally, totally. Because like when you think about sustainability and like climate change, that shit's not going to change overnight. And I think the same with like your health, whether it's like mental or physical, like that all has, and even your happiness just like has such a long-term view on, or you should have a long-term view on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the last thing I want to touch on is you did kind of, you did allude to this where you have this like thriving social media where you are sharing like quite a bit, but you're also like very protective about what you share. And I'm just wondering, do you have like 
kind of set rules for how you think about that? Because I think a lot of people kind of struggle with like where to draw the line. And I think you've really figured out where your line is. It's not necessarily that everyone should take it the exact same line or just how did you think about it and come up with where yours is? I think everyone has a different line. Um, Mine came simply from just years of being on the internet and seeing um, I'm on a bunch of Reddit forums where people say really bad things about me. I've had really bad blog posts written about me off things that aren't necessarily true. And like, it's just, I don't share those parts of my lives and that part of my life anymore, I should say. Um, You know, I also think there's this element of it too that's like, there's no reason my family needs to be on my social. They don't want to be on my social unless they're like, can you share this thing? Um, the relationship that I cultivate with my partner and my friends is also like deeply personal to me. And um, it's, yeah, I don't know. There's just a, it's a, it's a different beast. I I don't know anyone really that follows me. And I try to try to keep that balance and barrier. So mine comes from like a weird sense of, you know, things that have gone wrong, but hopefully people can find it that are listening to this can find it in themselves to just feel comfortable enough to put boundaries in place where they need to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's funny. I actually often have to like say to our good friends who, you know, actually like hang out with me. I'm like, you know, if they mentioned that I'm like, Oh, I wasn't really posting like that for, for you to see, like that's, that's, not why I'm on here. Totally. Like, you you see me like right now we're eating pizza. Like <laughs> you're like not the audience. Back to point one. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. My my one friend was like making fun of like I, I run with the dog jogger so I can bring my dachshund along for runs sometimes. It's all very logical, but he's like, oh you know, I almost unfollowed you for that. And I was like, well it wasn't for you. So <laughs> There's an unfollow button for a reason. Exactly. Exactly. I will be out there with my dog jogger. And if you don't like it, you don't have to watch it. (laughs) Okay. Well, I mean, on the topic of social media, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find, you know, any of the the projects and stuff that you're particularly excited about, et cetera. Yep. So at Nicole Lower on Instagram and TikTok. um, And then on LinkedIn is where all of my climate focused projects are. Amazing. Ah, Nicole, it was so great catching up with you. Thank you so much for chatting. Thank you. This was so lovely. Thanks so much for tuning into the Business of Fitness podcast. Hopefully you got a lot from this episode and hopefully it's going to help you with your business in the fitness industry. Make sure you're following along with me over at at Molly J. Herford and at business.of.fitness over on Instagram. Keep up with Feisty over at livefeisty.com for tons of fun stuff. And of course, if you like this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and leave us a rating and review. Thanks so much, and we'll see you soon.